Okay, so welcome to the profundity of the Proverbs. And as I said before, profundity just comes from the word profound. It means to something that's very deep, very rich. Um, I don't think that we'll, we, we might, might not, not sure, just depending on how time goes. We may not even touch the Proverbs yet because uh, I'm going to give a little background, a little history, a little bit of uh, introductory, introductory material that will help us as we uh, traverse this book of the Bible called Proverbs. Uh, so now a proverb, according to the dictionary definition, one of the definitions is that it is a short pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or a piece of advice. So usually a proverb is just one sentence that teaches a life lesson or a moral lesson or um, in, uh, talks about a character trait or something. And it's usually worded in such a fun and memorable way, almost a sing-songy way that helps you to memorize it well. So uh, here's some examples of some man-made proverbs that many of us has probably heard within, uh, within our day. So one of them is, the reason why we have two ears and one mouth is that we may listen more and talk less. Has your mother or grandmother ever said that to you? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. You know, we have two ears and one mouth because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. It's another way that we, we put it. Uh, another proverb maybe that you've heard is somebody say, well, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Have you heard that one? Uh, this is one that I've heard recently. When you want a drink of milk, you don't buy the whole cow. So if all you're looking for is a drink of milk, you, do, you don't buy the whole cow. Another one is the cat would eat fish, but she doesn't want to get her paws wet. So that's another one I heard recently. Uh, there, here's one that uh, we've probably heard over and over. One in the hand is worth two in the bush. And as a little kid, I heard that, and I'm like, what in the heck does that mean? So some, finally somebody explained it to me. One in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, another one that we know well and that we've probably heard since childhood is the early bird catches the worm. Right? So can anybody think of maybe a proverb that they've heard or a little saying maybe that I didn't mention or touch on or something that they remember their mother or grandmother or teacher saying? Yeah, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, yeah. There's one uh, that we use at the gym, no pain, no gain. So if you're working out and you're experiencing pain because of the soreness of muscles, it means you're building muscle. You're gaining muscle. No pain, no gain. Now, there's some contradictions when it comes to Proverbs, especially man-made Proverbs. You're not going to find any contradictions in the Word of God when it comes to the book of Proverbs. But when man uh, creates Proverbs, sometimes these Proverbs are contradictory. Take, for example, one that says, look before you leap as opposed to he who hesitates is lost. Okay, so which is it? Which is it? Which is the right one? You know, look. Yeah, the early bird catches the worm. That's another proverb, right? But the, but the ones that are contradictory is look before you leap on the one hand. And then the other says he who hesitates is lost. So if, if, you, if you hesitate, that's, that's looking. Looking before you leap, that's hesitating. But this other one says that if you hesitate, then you're lost. 
You miss out on it. So it's kind of a contradictory proverb. Another one is many hands make light work. So if we ever have another work day here at the, uh, at the church and cleaning up and everything, many hands make light work. But yet on the other hand, too many cooks spoil the broth. <laughs> so we see that there's some contradictions within man-made proverbs. Uh, but but that but you won't find that with the word with the word of God. Uh, so now uh, I want to read to you Second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen, and and you'll you'll um, this will be a very familiar passage to you. It says all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. So the Proverbs is one form of teaching. Uh, Proverbs is kind of, it reminds me of courses to a song. When you're trying to memorize something, it's easy, it's easy to, uh, to memorize something or to learn something. If you put it to a rhyme or put it to a song, put it to music, it's, easy, it's easier to retain that. Uh, and so the Proverbs are like that. They're short sayings. Some, sometimes they rhyme or sometimes there's some sort of uh, um, a verbal connection that you, can, that you can grasp onto. So the Proverbs are good for teaching. They're profitable to, for teaching. They're profitable for reproof. So reproof uh, means to correct that which uh, is, is not right. So when you reprove, it's, it's to correct something that is not right. That's what the Proverbs does as well. The Proverbs is trying to reprove uh, some maybe misinformation or bad philosophy or bad ways of thinking uh, in a young person's heart or mind. So um, reproof means what, what is not right, and it is for correction. So correction is how to get it right. So a lot of times people think that correction is punishment, but correction is not punishment. When you correct... Uh, when you punish, it's, a, it's something negative, like time out, being grounded, getting a spanking. That's punishment. But correction is you're being told what's wrong and how to make it right. So how to do it, how to do the right thing and how to do it the right way. That's what correction is. So all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. That word teaching is also doctrine. And uh, the Proverbs uh, actually has a lot of doctrine in it as well. So it is profitable for teaching or doctrine, uh, for reproof, for correction, and for training or instruction in righteousness. So you have doctrine, what is right? You have reproof, what is not right? You have correction, how to get it right, and instruction, how to say or how to stay right. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, kind of sum up Proverbs really, really well. It kind of gives you exactly what Proverbs is all about. It is for doctrine. It is to tell you what's right. It is for reproof, to correct what is not right. It is for correction, how to get it right. And it's for instruction, how to stay right. So that is a perfect biblical definition of the book of Proverbs. And I like the Bible to define itself. So whenever you're talking about something in the Bible, you can refer to another scripture that will bring light to the scripture you're already reading. So I like to let the Bible define itself. So Proverbs, 
The English word Proverbs, it comes from two words, pro, verbs. What does pro mean? It means for, pro, something that's for, but it also means positive. Like if you have the pros and the cons. So if you're making a list of pros and cons, the pros would be the positive aspects of what you're arguing. And the cons would be the negative aspects of what you're arguing. So pro means positive. What is a verb? An action word. So, it, so Proverbs in the English means positive action or pro-action. So Proverbs is being proactive. You've heard of the word proactive as opposed to procrastinate, means to put off something, or to be passive, which means to sit back and let somebody else do it. Proverbs is proactive. It's uh, positive actions, pro-verbs, Proverbs. Now, in the uh, Hebrew, the word for Proverbs, we call it the book of Mishle. Mishle. Uh, and the word Mishle in Hebrew means to be like, to resemble. So the implication there is to imitate or to emulate. So when we're talking about the Proverbs, we're talking about reading something that we want to imitate ourselves. We're talking about reading something that we want to resemble. We want to turn ourselves into that, make ourselves like that. Uh, we want to emulate what we're reading, what we're, what we're learning about. So that's the Hebrew word, mishle. It also means to compare. Uh, so the Hebrew word for Proverbs, mishle, means to be like, to resemble, to imitate, to emulate, and to compare. And there is a section of Proverbs, uh, chapters 10 through 24, which mostly deals with comparisons. There's a lot of comparisons in the book of Proverbs, comparing one thing to another. Now, the author of uh, Proverbs is predominantly King Solomon. And there's others that are mentioned there uh, as authors of the book of Proverbs, and we'll get into that here in a second. But the, the, the main one is, um, is King Solomon. So other authors, there is Agur, or Agar, son of Jachin. So who is, who is uh, Agar, son of Jachin? He's, no, he's not mentioned anywhere else in scriptures, in, in any genealogy, or any other part of the Bible. He just kind of shows up in Proverbs, and you're just thinking, who is this guy? Some scholars believe that uh, Agar, son of Jachin, is just a, another pen name for King Solomon. So you've heard of a ghostwriter or somebody who has a pen name. It's, uh, you know, and, and this was very popular with pulp fiction back in the 1930s and 1940s. There was a lot of women who were writing uh, fantasy, uh, science fiction, and other genres like that. But because women weren't predominantly in that field, uh, if, if, if a guy was reading a science fiction magazine uh, and reading a story and found out that it was a woman that wrote it, they'd be like, what does she know about science fiction? They kind of toss it to the side. So a lot of women who were writing science fiction and fantasy novels or crime novels back in the 30s and 40s for these pulp fiction magazines and, and, and books would go under a pen name. So it was a false name. Uh, so it would disguise their, uh, their gender and disguise their identity. And a lot of these uh, female authors became very prolific, famous pulp fiction writers. And it just come out in the wash later that it was a woman who actually wrote it. So it's kind of interesting. So a lot of people think that Agar, uh, son of Jachin, is also King Solomon. So if you look at the, uh, the, um, the name Agar, 
Agar in the Hebrew means a fugitive, somebody that is a fugitive. A uh, son of Jake means pious. So he's a pious fugitive. So whoever this Agar, son of Jacob, is, he is a fugitive son of the pious one. So it could have been, it could have been uh, King Solomon because if he was the son of the pious one, King David was pretty pious. And a fugitive may kind of hint to his birth. So then you also have um, King Lemuel. He's another guy who wrote a proverb. And I think that is Proverbs 31, if I'm not mistaken, is King Lemuel. But there's no King Lemuel in the genealogy of the kings of Judah or the kings of Israel. So who is this King Lemuel? Uh, Lemuel just means devoted to God. So it could be another pen name for Solomon himself. Why he would use a pen name, I have no idea. But uh, that's what a lot of scholars believe, because other than that, we really have no basis to know who Agar, son of Jackie, is, or King Lemuel is, uh, because they're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, in any genealogy, or anything like that. So it could be pen names for King Solomon. Now, the book of Proverbs is a really interesting book, because it is like a royal handbook for future rulers. So here just today, um, the royal family has another addition to their family, right? You have baby Sussex, and somebody said, "Is what they name him? Archie. I think of Archie Bunker. <laughs> I think of Archie. Maybe you might think of Archie, the comic book character. Yeah. But uh, so you have, you know, uh, Archie, Prince Archie, I guess. Um, so uh, we know that all of the royal family from you know Prince William and Prince Harry and all the other ones, that they are groomed from birth. They are being groomed by their parents, they are being groomed by their relatives, groomed by their grandmother to know how to think, feel, and act and properly, uh, properly relate themselves as a royal. So they have to learn a lot of uh, manners, a lot of protocol, uh, what to do, what not to do, how to act in public, how to act in private. I'm sure that, uh, 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 what's her name, uh, Princess, Prince Harry's wife, Meghan Markle, I'm sure she had to learn pretty quickly the do's and don'ts of a duchess, the do's and don'ts of a royal life. But with the book of Proverbs, we have right here in our hands the handbook uh, for royal future rulers, because who did Solomon write to? A lot of times he addressed the Proverbs to his sons, to those that would be the future kings or the future rulers, the future judges of Israel. And to think that uh, didn't God call us a nation of priests? He called us in the scriptures a nation of priests, a royal priesthood as a matter of fact. So we as believers in Messiah Yeshua, we are called a royal priesthood. Not only that, but in Revelation, it says that we will actually in the future be judging angels. We will be actually ruling over the angelic, the angelic hosts. So in you know, maybe the millennium or the world to come, we're going to have um, royal responsibilities. We're actually going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And if we're joint heirs with Christ Jesus, we're, we are also going to rule and reign with him. So what better book for us to study than the book of Proverbs? Because we're prince and princesses of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus, who is the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. 
So the book of Proverbs is for us. Now, some Proverbs were collected and compiled from other sources by King Hezekiah's men. So there's a whole section, and we'll get into that later in, in future classes, uh, of these Proverbs that were collected uh, by King Hezekiah's men. Uh, so Solomon, according to 1 Kings chapter 4 and 5, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 1, was the wisest man to ever have lived besides Jesus Christ himself. Let me make that clarification because <laughs> he's the son of God. He's definitely much more wiser than King Solomon. And what gets me is if King Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth up until Jesus, I think it was pretty stupid for him to marry over 700 women. <laughs> that wasn't too wise on his part. Maybe politically it was wise because that's why he married them is so that he would have these, uh, uh, these um, treaties between one country and another. Because if you married into the royal family of a certain country, you were an ally of that country, so you know that they wouldn't attack you. And if you got attacked, they would come and help you. So it was mostly for peace negotiations that Solomon had all these, all these wives. But the Torah, the law of God said not to, not for a king not to multiply wives because there's that danger of the women drawing the king's heart away from the one true God, from Yahweh, the God of Israel. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. These women just drew his heart away. He ended up building a pagan temple for uh, one, of, one of his wives. And he started worshiping some of these pagan gods himself. So, you know, that wasn't too wise of him there. Maybe he thought he was too smart for his own good and say, well, I know what the Torah says. I know what the law says. I'm not going to get wrapped up and mixed up in that because I know the meaning of it. I'm going to keep my heart pure. I'm going to keep my way clean. Uh, it didn't happen. His foreign wives had such an influence over him that eventually drew him away, and he kind of went to a backslidden condition there for a while. So he was uh, one of the most uh, uh, wisest men that ever lived besides Yeshua the Messiah himself. So uh, Proverbs 22, 17, all the way to chapter 24, verse 22, is said to be of influenced by an Egyptian book. So we know that the Apostle Paul mentions philosophers of Greece and Rome. He mentions, um, you know, philosophical writings from other people and other sources within his letters. So it shouldn't be no surprise to us that King Solomon also utilized the wisdom literature of his day from sources that he was in contact with. And he would have had a very intimate contact with Egypt because um, he married into the royal family of Egypt. So one of the Pharaoh's daughters was, was Solomon's, uh, one of Solomon's wives. So Proverbs 22 through 24 was said to be influenced by one of the books of wisdom literature by the Egyptians. Uh, and the book is called The, Instruction, the Instructions of Amenmop. The Instructions of Amenmop. So you have in verse um, chapter 22, verse 20 of Proverbs in the um, NIV and the ESV, it says, have I not written 30 sayings? Now, in other translations, it says, have I not written excellent or noble sayings? But you go to the ESV and the NIV, it says, have I not written 30 sayings? Now, there's 30 chapters in the instructions of Amenmop. 
And it's interesting that a lot of these instructions of Amenmop, this Egyptian wise man, uh, a lot of what he said is almost verbatim within the psalm or within the Proverbs. So I think that's kind of inter- interesting. So Solomon kind of drew from the wisdom literature of his day. Now, Proverbs is said to have been written between 970 to 700 BC. And I think I have that on the board there for you. So that's the kind of time frame that we're dealing with in regards to uh, the Proverbs. So does anybody have any questions up to this point? Am I going too fast for anybody? Is everybody taking notes because there's going to be a pop quiz at the end of class? No, I'm just kidding. Don't want to scare you. (laughs) All right, so let's kind of break down uh, the book of Psalms into three sections. I like to break it down into three sections. You have chapters 1 through 9, and chapters 1 through 9 are Proverbs of Solomon to his son, or to his sons, plural. So that's what mostly Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 deals with, is Proverbs of Solomon to his sons. And it is talking mostly about wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly. So I like to think as this first section of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9, as our freshman year. Because the freshman year, that's when you're being introduced to everything. Because I know when I had my freshman year at college, there were some classes that I was required to take. Not necessarily that I wanted to take because I didn't have any interest in those particular classes, but these classes performed or uh, formed a foundation and a basis that I was going to build the rest of my college career on. So I had to have these foundational courses before I was allowed to choose classes and courses of my own. So I look at Proverbs chapters one through nine Uh, as kind of the freshman year because it's dealing with wisdom and folly. And it's uh, Solomon addressing uh, these proverbs and instructions to his sons, the future kings and rulers of Israel. So the second section is chapters 10 through 24. Now Proverbs 10 through 24 is uh, mostly dealing with moral behavior geared toward the young. Moral behavior geared toward the young. Now, this is the section of the Proverbs where we have contrasts and comparisons. If you'll remember at the beginning, we talked, uh, about, uh, we talked about that a little bit. Now, I would consider this the sophomore year. Now, uh, does anybody know what the word sophomore means? Sophomore means an educated fool. I mean, that, that, that's what sophomore really means. So uh, Proverbs 10 through 24 is dealing with moral behavior geared towards the young. And the young, we think we know it all. But yet we're so foolish. Pam and I sometimes talk about when we were first married. We were married when we were 21. And we look back upon the first several years of our marriage and we're like, man, we were stupid. Man, we were dumb. We thought we knew it all. We thought we, we had arrived. We thought we were on top of the world. We thought we knew better than our, than our parents and the older people. But come to find out, we were pretty stupid. So we were sophomores. We were educated idiots, educated fools. And so that's why um, it, this is kind of like the sophomore year, because it's dealing with the foolishness of youth, because it's contrasts and comparisons. 
Now, the, the final section of Proverbs, uh, chapters 25 through 31, um, I'm going to call our junior and senior years because it is a miscellaneous behavior geared towards the young and the old. So you have juniors who are still young, but you have seniors who are old and are about ready to go off into the world and kind of make it on their own. So Proverbs 25 through 31 is dealing with miscellaneous behavior geared towards the young and the old. So it's the junior and senior year, uh, so to speak. And this deals with just kind of miscellaneous odds and ends. Uh, and, and it's kind of appropriate that it's kind of at the end of Proverbs there. So uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon prayed for wisdom rather for monetary riches. So God came to him in a dream, said, Solomon, you know, you're, you're the one who I cho chose from the line of David, and I want your reign to be successful. You can ask for anything that you want. Most people <laughs> would ask for riches or power or fame, but Solomon didn't ask for any of that. He asked for wisdom because he wanted to know how to rule his people rightly. And this response or this answer to what Solomon wanted from God impressed God so much that he said, great, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you for what you didn't ask for as well. I'm going to give you riches and I'm going to give you power, authority and fame on top of all of that. So he kind of kind of got the total package. It's kind of like on Let's Make a Deal. Have you ever watched Let's Make a Deal? And, you know, the big deal of the day, sometimes if you choose the right door on the big deal of the day, not only do you get the big deal of the day, but you get the other two doors as well because they lump all the prizes into one package. So you get the whole deal. And that's kind of the way it was with Solomon. He chose the right door for let's make a deal. God's like, OK, do you want riches? Uh, do you want power and authority? Or do you want wisdom? He's like, hey, I'll take wisdom. Well, that's great because you chose the big deal of the day and you also get riches and power and authority on top of it all too. So that's kind of neat. All right. Now, Solomon was a very uh, interesting choice in my opinion to continue the Messianic line, to continue the line of David. And eventually we know that through the line of David, through Solomon, came Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So he is of the royal line of David. So Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the line of Solomon and David. And I just think it's ironic because you would think that maybe God would have chosen another son of David, maybe through more of a more savory marriage, because David's marriage to Bathsheba was almost like a shotgun wedding. Because if you remember how they got together is that it was David's responsibility to lead his men into battle, to lead his men into war. But he's like, no, I'm going to stay behind and let Joab and let all the other guys do the fighting. And I'm going to hang back at the palace. Well, he was on the roof of his palace, kind of moseying around, and he seen a woman bathing. You know, and, and, and it, was, it was a ritual. It wasn't like she was bathing to get clean. It was a ritual bath. This is the ritual bath that women took after their menstrual cycle. So she was fertile. She was ready to conceive. David saw her, got the hots for her, inquired about her, and he sent somebody to get her. And so he ended up, you know, uh, conceiving a child through illegitimate means, and he wanted to cover up this pregnancy. So he had her husband killed. He didn't do it himself. 
He never shot the gun or stabbed him with a knife, but he gave the order to put Uriah on the front lines where he knew he would be killed. And that way he covered up, or he thought he covered up his sin. But we know that in Numbers, the Bible tells us that be sure your sin will find you out. Don't ever think that you're going to commit a sin and keep it covered up and commit a sin and keep it in secret. And it's going to be your secret until you go to the grave because your sin will always find you out. Achan thought that he was going to keep his sin to himself. Sure, I know that God told me not to take any Babylonian garments. Didn't He told me not to take any gold or silver. He wanted everything of this people to be burned, to be put under the band. But who's going to know if I take a couple garments and a couple uh, wedges of silver? I can hide it in, in the ground under my tent and nobody would ever know. Well, as a result, Israel lost a battle they should have won. Ai was just a tiny military outpost that they, they could have taken easily, but yet they got the pants beat off of them, and so they had to find out the reason why, and it was because Achan disobeyed God, and he didn't put the Babylonian garments and the silver and all that to, to be banned, to be burned. He took some of it to himself when God told him not to. As a result, Israel lost the war, Israel lost the battle, and... Um, uh, so we know what happened to Achan. His sin found him out, and as a result, he and his entire household was killed. Uh, so David put himself in that predicament. He thought he was going to keep this adulterous affair, this political adulterous affair secret. But Nathan the prophet, God told Nathan the prophet, and Nathan the prophet confronted David and called him out on the carpet. David finally had to confess his sin and uh, Psalm 51 is his confession, his confession of sin. And we know that this child that was conceived through adulterous, illegitimate means, that child died. And after that child died, and we know that Uriah was killed, so that left Bathsheba a widow. So David felt obligated at this point to bring Bathsheba in and make the marriage legitimate. And that legitimacy of the marriage coming together produced Solomon. And God chose Solomon. At first, God was angry with David because of his affair with Bathsheba, but he was pleased with Solomon, and Solomon lived. And do you know what Solomon means? Solomon means peace. So through Solomon, David made his peace with God. And so God looked upon Solomon with favor and uh, decided that he was the one that was going to continue the Davidic dynasty. He was the one that was going to uh, continue the Messianic line as well. I'll just give you a little, uh, another uh, fact about King Solomon. Uh, we already mentioned that God gave him wisdom. Uh, but we also mentioned that God gave him power and authority and riches. Uh, I kind of did a little bit of research and found out what King Solomon's annual income was. Do you know how much, how much money Solomon made a year? $330 million each year. Yeah, that was King Solomon's annual income. Right. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't what we think of as dollar bills because money, you know, currency back then was gold, silver, brass. It was it was uh, food. You know, it was sacrifices, it was livestock. And you know, we can kind of relate to that. I mean, maybe some of you might even remember like uh okay, for instance, I'm a pastor. If I was a pastor 70, 80 years ago, I wouldn't be paid a salary. 
I would be paid with eggs. I would be paid with goat's milk. I would be paid with chickens. That would be my income. That's how I would make my living. So, you know, but taking that was a very good point. So we know that Solomon didn't get money, greenbacks. He didn't get dollar bills. And it wasn't all gold and it wasn't all silver. A lot of it was livestock and a lot of it was uh, precious spices and precious oils, which carried a lot of value. So there was a lot of things that was being able to be bartered or to be traded. Uh, but all that equaled a value. All of that had an amount. So putting all of that amount together, it would be equivalent to our day of $330 million a year that King Solomon brought in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably needed... Yeah, he probably needed 330 million because of his uh, uh, so many wives and so many concubines that he had. And you th you think about that. Um, if he had that many wives, and if he had children by each and every one of those wives, there would probably be at least two or three birthdays every single day in his kingdom. That's kind of that's kind of crazy to think about. Kind of crazy to think about. Okay. Uh, that'd be interesting to know. I don't know how many children he would, uh, how many children he had, but yeah, that wow, it, it would be a lot, for for sure, for sure. All right, um, I think we're gonna cut it short uh, today because this is just the introductory. Uh, so next week we'll we will actually get into the uh, meat and potatoes of Proverbs, beginning with Proverbs chapter one verse one. Um, I'm tempted to go on and tempted to go into it, but I think this is a good stopping point. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Uh, where Solomon asked for wisdom, that was that was First uh, Kings chapter three through five. That's the kind of the whole story there. And then also 2 Chronicles chapter 1 also kind of dealt with that as well. Yeah, 1 Kings 3 through 5, chapters 3 through 5 kind of tells that whole story. And 2 Chronicles 1. So uh, did, it, uh, did, did anything that we talked about kind of surprise you? Some uh, new information that you may have found out about uh, Proverbs that you didn't know before, because when I was studying this, it kind of shocked me uh, that Solomon got a lot of his Proverbs or inspiration from his Proverbs from Egyptian wisdom literature. That kind of, you know, but then I thought about it and I'm like, well, it kind of makes sense because even Paul the Apostle was well educated and he quoted from Greek and Roman philosophers and, you know, other sources as well. But that kind of surprised me. I don't know about you. Anybody have any uh, comments? Anything they would like to add? Um, that one I just pulled from my brain. Uh, numbers. Uh, I know it's in the book of Numbers, and I think it's around chapter 20-something. But uh, they're in Numbers, uh, be sure your sins will find you out. If you go to Google or if you have a Strong's Concordance, uh, you can find out. Yeah, BibleGateway.com. Actually, we have a concordance in the back. Let me let me find it. Okay, so Numbers 32:23 is that passage. Be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, well, uh, there'll be a quiz on the memory verses after we complete the study of the chapter.
So once we're totally finished with chapter one, we're going to have a quiz on the memory verses regarding chapter one. So you're going to have plenty of time to memorize that because it's going to take us a while to get through uh, Proverbs chapter one. Uh, so you, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Any other comments or questions or anything before we close? Let's go ahead and uh, close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we would just want to thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come out and to be able to dig in and to study your word. I realize today we actually didn't get into any of the Proverbs themselves. We just covered um, you know, a lot of the background information, a lot of the historical information, and uh, a lot of things that will set us up to help us to understand the book of Proverbs so much better. Uh, when we know the background of things. And Lord, I'm just so encouraged and so thankful for every single individual uh, that has decided to uh, make it out here to be a part of this class. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless and encourage each and every one of them as they go home and as they read, do their homework assignment, and as they read a proverb each day corresponding to the day of the month, that Lord, that you would minister to them and that you would speak to them, that your Holy Spirit would open up their hearts and their minds and reveal to them lessons and things in Proverbs that they've never seen before, that they might be able to come back to class and say, hey, guess what the Lord showed me, or guess what I learned, or guess what I found out. And we could uh, have a great dialogue and a great discussion and edify one another as we go through the book of Proverbs and as we go verse by verse. Uh, so Lord, just bless each and every single one and uh, uh, keep us all safe and well to come back here again next time. And we love you and we praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. The Plaster Rock United Baptist Church. Come join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m.